So hello, climate change. This is the bonus round with Maureen Crowley. Um, we just recorded an awesome conversation, and sh- there's more to be said, so I figured I'd keep the tape rolling, and we'll put out a little bonus episode. So what were you going to say, Maureen? I, I was going to say, several years ago, um, more than 20 years ago, when I was on the... I used to live on Cape Cod, which is a wonderful place to live in oh, Massachusetts, yeah. Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And... Um, I lived there a long time. I lived there for about 20 years off and on and um, and taught there. And it's an absolutely beautiful, breathtaking environment. It is just special. It, 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 mm-hmm. I can't say enough about how wonderful it is. And you know, there's, it's a very rich art uh, community. Um, and a friend one day said to me, who was an environmentalist, jokingly said to me, well, enjoy it while it lasts, Maureen, because the Cape is not going to be here for long, and don't invest in any summer home on the shore. And I thought it was just too funny that it, you know, I didn't really take it seriously. And I was, you know, talking with him about that, and he said, no, no, no. He said, if you ever have a chance to fly over the Cape, you will see how fragile the environment is. Mm -hmm. And I never had that. I mean, I was on the ground always or, or sailing or you know it's a solid environment it's really beautiful right. it's big you know it's big but I did have an opportunity to fly over it and um, I was going out either to Martha's Vineyard one time and then into a small plane to go into Boston from the Hyannis airport so that you fly low and from the air you could see how fragile with there were inland ponds, there were the, the shorelines came in and estuaries very far into the, and you could see that there was not nearly the land mass that you feel when you're feel standing there. Yeah. When you're when you're there. Right. And and I, and it was wonderful. It's a simple yeah. change of focus or a different shift in your lens to see the environment from uh, from a bird's eye view of and 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 realizing what you take so much for granted mm-hmm. that there's much more substance and substantial mm-hmm. um ness to your environment and then you saw it from a a different perspective and thought it I can I can imagine it not being here right. in time, not again, as we were saying earlier, not in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I I thought it's going to be here as long as I'm here, but as the research scientists were talking about about the Iceland and um, Greenland and 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 Antarctica, um, some of those changes are happening so much quicker than yeah. people expected and there is right. debate about that but there's more no, agreement I mean, there's than not miles about and that miles and, of yeah. ice disappear they showed i saw something that showed um um like this all this glacial ice that had fallen away it was the That's, size of manhattan it's it just hard like to imagine at once. that yeah it's hard to imagine mm-hmm. that and so um right. but it did it, it gave me a much different perspective on that immediate environment mm-hmm. when I had an, an opportunity to be outside of it. The other interesting thing that happened when I was on the Cape, this is very funny, and I forgot about this. I was on the Cape, living on the Cape, when they um, turned on what they called the, the, the pause, the, the, um, the radio waves, you know, the, that they've installed on the Cape area to be able to detect any kind of, um, you know, military 
weapon or coming in any direction to to the eastern coast. They have these big radio wave um, installations. I think radio wave, I want to say microwave, but... So it had been, been been under construction for quite a long time, and then it was ready to go online. You know, they mm-hmm. were really ready to put the plug in. And so they sent out all these warnings to us, and they said, you know, you may see things with your television or your radio that there's going to be some interference um, while, we, while we get this worked out. You know, mm-hmm. when it goes live, we don't know what changes we'll have. To, and so... We kept hearing this and saw in the paper we had articles about it and mm-hmm. warning notices and, and on the local television cable. And so um, the day that it went live, I was actually home and I was cleaning in my kitchen. And all of a sudden, all of my appliances were talking to me. You know, there was music coming. There was music coming out of the 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 stove. There was music what? coming out of the, the that everything so that was plugged in. There was music coming out of the stove and out of the the toaster. That's so hard to believe. I believe you, but you, it's so hard to believe. You like. And and so, you know, of course, it it didn't last long, but it was pretty hilarious. I remember stopping in the middle of my kitchen and I thought, I don't have any TV on. I don't have the radio and I don't have anything. But my appliances were all live. (laughs) So they very quickly got things straightened out. But it was an interesting thing. And, of course, in your head was like, if things are just coming through the electric connections what else is it you know what else is happening yeah um so it it, i remember that it it was a a silly but scary moment that you thought there's there's a lot more to this than they were were indicating wow that's i've never heard anything like that though i've heard people talk about hearing (laughs) radios through their filling radio stations through their And I never believed it, but now maybe there is some truth to it. Wow. It didn't last. It, 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 you know, well, one thing. It was, but it was, it was eerie. You it know, was definitely, you know, I had mm. to to stop and, yeah. and try. I, I think there's like, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, how um, I was thinking about how, um, you know, how, like I'm listening to my, I have got my phone with the earplugs in and I'm listening to things that are being broadcast from a satellite. And, and like, it's just like, there's, and, and the idea of, um, telepathy, I was thinking we have these rare earth minerals in our pocket that make it possible for us to receive these signals, but maybe we have these rare earth minerals in our bodies and maybe we receive signals too. And maybe we just are not in tune and, you know, in the, in the, in terms of knowing how to interpret those signals. But I remember one time when I was in my twenties, I was in California. So I was like 3000 miles away from my home where I grew up. And I had a moment where I was on a hike with a friend and I was just, overwhelmed by how beautiful the earth is Mm -hmm. to the point where I was like, I just want to hug this hill. And my friend said, do it. So I did the hippie thing. I (laughs) fell to the ground and I just like was hugging the earth with my ear to the ground. And suddenly I, it felt like I heard, I didn't hear anything literally, but it, I felt like my mother was in distress and um, I jumped up and I told my friend, we need to get back to the house where we are staying. 
um, I need to call my mother right away. And she okay. didn't question me, and she we went back, and I immediately picked up the phone and called my mother, and it turned out she was had been in a lot of distress physically for the last couple hours, and uh, and she was telling me what she was going through, and I won't publicize what her physical ailment was, but the my friend who um, who brought me from her perspective, what she heard was me saying, "Hello, mom, are you okay?" Have you thought about going to the emergency room? Okay. And so what the conversation ended up was that my mom said, no, I hadn't thought of that. And I think I said something like, can you, would you consider calling an ambulance? And she said she would call her friend to take her. And, and so I said, okay. And we hung up and she called her friend and, um, and then I called her back or something. But basically my intervention got her to think about, taking what she was going through seriously and getting some medical care, um, which led to an emergency surgery. So, um, so I don't know, somehow, I mean that, that, you know, okay, it's possible. It was just a strange, weird coincidence and that I imagined something and it just, the timing was, but I don't really think so. (laughs) You know, my experience (laughs) tells me otherwise. Um, so I mean, I had a different experience. I actually was in, um, uh, yeah. Glacier National Park mm-hmm. so many years ago and was standing in this one beautiful spot that everybody stops in one of the viewpoints where you get out and, you know, paint or take pictures. And and I remember I was young and I remember standing and, and it was just an absolutely magnificent view and really powerful because the mountain range and the sheerness of some of the mountains were just magnificent and and big and majestic and and none of those words really do justice to what it is and it's this so um big a feeling and emotion when you're standing there but i remember the first time that i was there um i want to say feeling close to that environment so how do I mean that it was it it didn't feel bigger than me as big as it was I felt wonderful to be there and I felt that the world was an amazing place and that uh it was just a glorious place and and there was something powerful in that feeling and then it was many many years later and I I don't remember maybe 10, 12, 15 years later, another group, a group of friends and I um, met at Glacier and we did all the hiking and I was back at that very same spot, much older. Mm. And, and I had an entirely different feeling. And I remember standing there, looking there, feeling really small and, you know, that classic Mm. feeling very insignificant to what, this majesty was and how long it has been there and how you know thinking how long it will continue when you know we're just passing it through so quickly and and meaningless wow that's the interesting thing about your climate notion is at the time feeling like a meaningless insignificant force passing through the world that mm-hmm. you know that was an entirely different feeling from when I was young and 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 being there and thinking you know great things 
in the world could happen and would. Mm -hmm. And it was entirely a different sense, a diminished, a, a, a very much more diminished sense. And, um, and now I, I, I think, again, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, the notion of any system, any ecological system, how much more tightly connected all elements and aspects of it are than we are apt to think in the noise of our day. Yeah. And so, so thinking that I was entirely insignificant and, and passing mm -hmm. through in the mountains and those things are going to be there, not necessarily so when you realize how much of an impact on the environment you have. I've always thought that I've been good in the very <laughs> normal and traditional ways. You know, as we were saying, we recycle things. We're really careful about utilities. You know, we investigate solar energy so that we can eliminate some of the... We look at all those things and do good... Th do things. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, um, uh, it was interesting. I, I met a group of people in Willimantic. We were doing these sort of free community trainings and there was a night... A, a, uh, one night a week, and people would just come in to this um, uh, 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 downtown office site, uh, and you'd have coffee, and it was kind of a very, you know, old 60s, 70s, you know, street drop-in, um, ed self-educating kind of group. It was really fun and funky and different, and you never knew who was going to be there, and whoever showed up, you know, you could have conversations about important things happening in the community and had a real grassroots community organizing feeling. And one night that I was there for, 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 uh, uh, to talk about some educational things for the community that were free, there was a group of people that were really radical environmentalists that I, that live, you know, that live among us. And they really had gone off the grid, not using electricity. They didn't have plumbing in their house. They built homes that, you know, they were using no plumbing, no, and, 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 it was amazing to me, you know, it was in listening to them and how, um, you know, like the, the, the continuum of where we are in yeah. terms of what we do to save the environment in our small and, and, and personal ways. They were, uh, and, and I was struck and over, you know, a, a little overwhelmed and intimidated by how will, how much they were willing to do without all of the conveniences that I'm so hooked on and used to that I thought I, I, <laughs> I would love to be able to say that I could be, you know, the purest and, and right. go back to Walden Pond and, you know, live more meaningfully. But even Henry David didn't stay there very long, right. <laughs> went back to his pencil factory. So um, it's not really right to say, but he, you know, he didn't spend the rest of his life there. Mm -hmm. He was there for a dedicated period of time to see what the experience mm -hmm. was. But these people are not doing that. They're living their life. They've made the conscious moral choice to live their lives in a much more um, austere, uh, maybe. Yeah, and, and I, I was, I was moved, but I was also struck by you know, how selfish I am in some ways that, that mm -hmm. it would be hard for me to be able to do some of that. Although my Jack has these very wild, crazy ideas that say we're all going to go backwards, that there's going yeah. to be a time when all the technology is just going to... Well, there's, there's um, not I can't think of his name, but there's a guy who speaks really eloquently about 
um, what it means that the era that we're living in and how short it actually has been um, this period of time when we've been able to harness fossil fuels and that um, you know he was holding up like a pint jar of oil and saying this represents I think he said something like 30 hours of manpower you know right. you know that that we we are used to having um, all of this energy at our disposal and it's going to go away um, and we're going to have to go back to work. Right. <laughs> That's the way he puts right. it. So. Wait, see, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't think of who it was who said that. But if I think of it, I'll put it in the show notes. We, we were doing, um, we created some learning programs for students across some of our districts. And, and in rural northeastern Connecticut... Um, and we are the last Green Valley, you know. Right. We have we, we right. Have... And let me just say that that's that's actually um, that's sort of this catchphrase about the area that we're in, the last Green Valley. But it actually, it's actually pretty significant. It when, is when you look at um, the Earth from satellite view. Right. This is like the one place. Is it just in the United States? But there's this one place where there isn't lights that light up the landscape. Artificial. It's, Right, and, no artif- at night, right. If right? you're looking at it at night, you don't see all these specks of light in this last... And the pilots pilot, right, right. pilots use this as a navigational right. point because they know it's exactly one dark where, spot, right? <laughs> where we are. Yeah. But we, On the East Coast, we were working with young students mm-hmm. to do... A, um, uh, for them to assess their footprint, you know, their carbon print, and and ask and for them to take a look at what goes into making blue jeans, you know, which mm-hmm. everybody wears, right. and what the labor is, and what the production right. of that, and and having them see from an inception yeah. onward what 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 everybody is wearing as as yeah. as every what the cost of that is in human capital, mm-hmm. and then also in mm-hmm. environmental, right, and and. To be able to do that with young kids, I think, is an important thing because yeah. we come be like some of us would become anesthetized and not oh, yeah. S- seeing. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I've I've started to feel really. Um, I don't want to say I feel bad about, but but maybe I should just say I feel bad about. Um, you know, I do a lot of athletic event type of things, and every single one of these events gives out a T-shirt. And even if it's a yeah. benefit, they right. give out a T-shirt, and there isn't much thought about the resource involved in making these T-shirts right. and dyeing them and the cotton and the – I mean, there's – some uh, I don't know how many gallons of water that it goes into the processing and um and they're coming from places where probably Bangladesh and places where people are working for a pittance and their and their whole country is going to be underwater before long right. so it's like we we really do um like when I think about the people who you're describing who are living in this austere way in the midst of all of this this consumption in the world where we are, it's it's a hard thing to do because no one else is living that way. Right. Um, and it feels like as individuals we, we are, feel called upon to become um, experts on all this stuff and be our own sort of policemen around what we consume. But I don't think that that is the way to go or is realistic or is fair to ask of us. I think we need to, um, insist upon it being part of our system that, that the care is built into the system, that we don't make it so easy for us. We should not be able to get these $5 t-shirts. You know, we shouldn't be able to, um, 
have as much access to the energy of the world as we do. And like I, I, early on in this podcast, I talked a lot about strawberries because this for me was a encapsulating print, um, um, example. Um, I really like strawberries. I actually have weaned myself of this. You know, this is interesting. I hadn't <laughs> occurred to me, but every time there would be strawberries in the store in February, you know, just f- at a decent price. And I, I actually would feel a, a combination of dismay and greed be like, Ooh, I want those. And they don't belong here. They're, the season has not begun. These are coming from Argentina or something or California. They're coming a long distance. There's a lot of resource used. And, um, you know, like the countries in the in South America and Central America where all of their good farmland goes to growing cantaloupes and other produce for us. All the good farmland. I mean, a cantaloupe is a ball of basically water and a little bit of sugar and fiber in there too. And, you know, that's basically what it is, is mostly water. And then there's all this resource that goes to ship it to us. And, you know, it's because we have money and they're bending over backwards um, to, to get some of our money so they can survive because, but on the other hand, they're also to grow their own little plot of corn to feed themselves, they're doing this on the hillsides where the, the soil isn't good and they're eroding the hillsides and the erosion causes um, carbon to be released in, into the atmosphere. So there's like, there's all this stuff that happens and we are innocently guilty because we go in the store and we see a cantaloupe and go, ooh, I'm going to buy a cantaloupe. And no one is telling us, do you realize what damage is being done in your name so that you can have this and do you realize that it's happening because you have more than your share of the world's wealth and so i don't know there's some some way in which it's got to be a bigger change than individuals deciding to forego luxury well my my um my neighbor actually emma um, grad, very funny. Recently graduated from college, and 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 is a very socially conscious and aware person. And for the past four or five summers, has gone to Mexico and worked in um, in communities that have grown up around dumps. Mm-hmm. You know that they actually yeah. live in the dump. And she was creating houses. Mm. You know, they went down to build houses in the dumps and people go through the dumps and find what they can rescue and turn it around and they clean it and they sell it. Mm -hmm. But they're living there, you know, it's there. And so they were there building building houses. And this past, after doing that for several years, three or four years, um, this past year she went to Africa and, and was in Kenya and she was working with women in, in, in villages with very little resources. And they were, if I understand that part of what they're there to do is microeconomy thing. So helping women who are doing businesses in the home that they can mm-hmm. capitalize right. on and yeah. then move beyond the neighborhood and sell it in a, yeah. in a bigger way. And so... <clears throat> So they were making these special chips, you know, and in my mind, Mm -hmm. limited um, images, you know, they were making a special kind of their own version of a potato chip in a different way and and, and the packaging it and selling it. And I remember thinking, um, 
so many ways to see that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, there's a part of the old, you know, your mental model of that's American entrepreneurial yeah. um, work being carried out to the most impoverished communities. And is that really a good thing? Are we all convinced yeah. that capitalism yeah. is the only way right. to really rescue um, some of these communities, I know that that's a, a, a very, no. I don't think that's a small a, a thing. naive w- thing. No, because like I, I'm thinking of like a, a, an NGO that's forming that I did some graphics for um, to to go to their. Well, I don't know if they'll actually become an NGO, but that's the direction they're headed. They they won't be able to be one in time to go to the the um, climate. Um, conference um at the the un is doing in paris they but they're going to go to that um um but they won't be able to have that status so they won't be inside and part of the program in a certain way but anyway they're fundraising they're fundraising by making products and selling them right and it's sort of like oh so i actually i actually um I would have liked to have had time to do more with them about this, but I came up with an idea for them, which was, um, so I had to develop their logo, which, which could be blown up into like an, a larger, like a poster. It was enough, enough detail in it that it would hold together as something interesting if you saw it large. Yeah. And, and I thought, wow, this would be really cool to silk screen this onto, um, reused materials. Like, so old, um, I, I went made a ton of them I'm looking around to see if I have one hanging up. I don't, but, um, I have some in here I could show you, but, um, I used, um, road atlases. We don't need them anymore. We have a GPS, but I have all these pages of road atlas that, and, and how perfect to have a logo that has to do this image that has to do with caring for our environment printed on top of a map. And I did it on top of, um, old sketchbook, you know, pages and stuff and made these beautiful artworks out of it that had like old, drawings and writings on underneath and maps and 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 I my idea was to have this organization which is uh, global like it has it has people all over the uh, the world um have access to the design which I could send them digitally and they could do the silk screening locally sell them locally so the only material that ends up being consumed there is the ink it's not the paper. It's not the the right. delivery. It's the local fundraising yeah. effort, um, and that was that whole idea didn't. I would have need to have put a lot more work into um, to to trying to push the idea to make it happen on a bigger scale than it than it has happened so far. And it's something that yeah. I I'd like to con- pursue as a model. Right. But you know, it. I don't see anything wrong with making something that someone can enjoy and selling it. But you have to think about the whole stream of, of materials and production in right. a way that you, that you have to be more thoughtful than you used to be because we didn't really get it in the pa- in the the past of our right. species that there was a finite amount of resources, well, and, and that's just what it comes down to. And I and I, and the, and it's the sort of the yin and yang. It's there's so many different ways to look at one thing so so for example um we've been investing in 3d printers Ah. um for students because we thought you know everyone really now can be their own right designer developer and manufacturer Mm -hmm. and and um and that will be you know an important avenue in the future and Mm -hmm. and 
I was in, in talking with other educators, I thought that the, the, the change is so hugely profound that it's really hard for those of us who are older to get our heads around a lot of things. So um, my friend Dottie, who, who, um, whose son just recently got married, she, she's a huge shopper. She's like, <laughs> she lives to shop one of these. Mm-hmm. And so, so, uh, she actually buys a lot through Esty. Is it Etsy? Oh, Etsy. Etsy. Mm-hmm. And so she found this woman in India who makes handmade slippers. Okay. Um, and they're very beautiful. And so she contacted her and said, I love your slippers. I want to, would like to have a wedding. I'd like to give them for my future daughter-in-law for her to wear for her wedding and all the, and so would you make, and and they ended up collaborating on a design color. Mm -hmm. And so cooperatively created these set of slippers that then were, and and she designed showed you know would um, electronics through cyber world share the the drawings the designs mm-hmm. the colors all of that, and then when they were done shipped the shoes the slippers to her for less than thirty five dollars mm-hmm. for I think there were three or four different shoes for different people oh like the the bridal party or whatever right yeah. exactly and yeah. so and 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 ship them to her and, and she had them mm-hmm. in her house in a matter of it didn't happen it didn't take a month right basically once they agreed on what they were doing is far less than that mm-hmm. and and so the, this notion that we really are we, we can we have the such a potential to break down geographic barriers and boundaries where we're yeah. collaborating and working with people around the world to create things. Right. And it's scary how quickly that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so teaching children, you know, youngsters mm-hmm. to get ready for what this world will be for them yeah. is an important thing for us. On the other hand, there's, there's in your head saying, so do you, you know, is manufacturing, <laughs> isn't that part of the problem? It's like, you know, in a bigger way, do, do we want every, you know, it's... Well, <clears> but, but, you know, I think of, um, you know, I teach graphic design and we go through some design history in the class and... Um, and you know, there was a period of time where uh, William Morris was very big, and he, and Absolute, and there was yep. the arts and crafts movement, and there that. was yep. it was it was a time period where um, the industrial Re- revolution was starting to get underway, and this was sort of a backlash to say craftsmanship and the yep. that 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 it's such a more human and satisfying lifestyle to be making something by hand than working on an assembly line. And, and, and there was this strong sort of very, very ident- we could identify it with it easily. Um, this idea of, 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 I guess the, the value of the individual and of talented artisans. Right. So that's one thing, but right. then shortly on the heels of that comes, um, the exploitation Stepanova of and um, <laughs> R- R- what's their name, Rachenko, who who are designers who are whose philosophy is um, that's all well and good for people who can afford that stuff, but for the people, um, good design made simple so that everybody has access to decent clothing and decent housing and decent furniture and decent you know, 
um, tools, um, we mm-hmm. can now do that. And we, we have an obligation as designers to design for the masses rather than right. for the, the elite. And so there was a new right. ideal that came into, into play around um, manufacturing that had a very um, egalitarian kind of ideal behind it. And so, or our philosophy behind it. So, um, but at the same time, you personalize it. So she's getting now we're in a different place. She's getting handmade slippers that are the color, style, the design, the sewing, the 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 the. the, Well, this uh, isn't manu. This is this is individual. That's the craftsmanship, right? And that it can come to you, come to your door, right? And and not. Cost a lot. Now, obviously, that's not. Um, I, I, she was telling me another funny story where his son did the same thing with the Nike and wanted his own specially designed Nike. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can do that. And, yeah. and then they'll deliver it to you. That was a lot more expensive right. than this woman was. But, right. And I'll leave with this. This, is a, 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 this was a, a change that I've noticed in a very short period of time. As you know, when I was f- finishing up my. Over the past. I would say the past five years that I was finishing up my studies and spending a lot of time at the university library. And so I would say to you um, that for a long time when I would go to the library and I would bring my laptop and I would plug in, I never had trouble finding a place where I mm-hmm. where I could set up. Yeah. And I would bring my laptop and my book bag full of my mm-hmm. notes and my over time, it got more and more difficult. In the last year that I was finishing up my writing, it was very hard for me to find a place where I could plug in. And I would end up going into the um, this, a special area for graduate students only where you had to use your card and get in. So there was very... Are you a, saying because there was more crowded or there was less it, Many outlets. more people there. Okay. But what they were doing is what was interesting to me. They come, When I would look out... At, in, in the bigger mm-hmm. library, all these students set up almost their own cubicle mm-hmm. that's all cyber world. Mm-hmm. So you would typically see for students a laptop out, mm-hmm. a smartphone exactly beside, if not right. on the, yeah. the... And some of them would have an iPad as well up right. and running so they could move back Multitask, and forth. Yeah. And then they would have... But the most interesting thing to me is that they would still have a spiral notebook. Right. (laughs) So they haven't necessarily eliminated anything. Mm -hmm. They've just kept adding Mm -hmm. to what it is that they were using for writing papers, for doing research. And when you watched them and watching them, Mm -hmm. you could see... we call it multitasking, and there's no, there is no, that's a neutral term. It sounds like a good thing, right? It's a multitasking, sounds like it could be a very good thing. Intellectually, I'm not sure that that's true. There's no research to indicate that multitasking yeah. is a... No, there is research, and it says that it doesn't work. Right, I was going to say, if anything, it will say it I really... I don't agree, though, because I can cook a lot of different things at once, and that's multitasking, but anyway. Yes, yeah, so, but, but you're sort of in the same medium. When you see these students working, and they're, uh, the, you see their fingers going on the keyboard, uh-huh. but then immediately they pick up the, the smartphone. It's like uh, you see them going back and forth, their eye vision from the, 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 the 
the screen to their their smartphone back to the screen picking up this mm-hmm. the, and and doing this and then putting it down and then getting back yeah. to typing and then another and so you see them yeah. and and as i said to you how difficult it would be when you're writing yeah to get yourself back into a deep concentration yeah a, and and the exhaustion well, that that can be you you don't see evidence that any of that is 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 happening with the scoop despite the fact that they've got They've set themselves you don't, up. You, oh, you don't see evidence that what's not happening. They're too distracted. Oh, right. so if you're writing something, and you're typing, and at the and every few yeah, minutes you're checking, you're checking the phone mm-hmm. and you're responding to yeah. that, it's very hard. Unless they get better and better at that, right. it's very hard for you to go too far with your writing. Right. In a in in that stop start stop start. Mm-hmm. If you if if you think you're going to say anything truly profound, but and and as a result, I think the university faculty, when you ask them about quality of writing, they will say there isn't, mm. and that there's not much depth to what they're getting. Right. Um, so it's 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 interesting that they have many more tools available. Right, but they have yeah. There's a lot of polls. Of different yeah. just back to distractions, which I think is where right. we started. Right. So thank you. Let's, <laughs> let's wrap it up. We'll we, wrap it up for now. It was really fun. Yeah. I mean, we could talk. You and I could probably talk all night on tangents. I'm not sure that <laughs> they do make sense to me, but not. Um, that was one of the things I I found in my research too. Maybe because I was so immersed in it, mm-hmm. I always saw connections that. That other people would be like, oh, really? And I, I think it's so obvious yeah. that these two things relate to yeah. one another. But only because I was so deep into it that yeah. I was, and and they were like, really? I think if you go deep into anything, you find it connects to everything else. Yeah, and and <laughs> and and and, 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 it, and and it's so you know a lot of things work, but but. And and so then it's a hard thing because it's so clear to you. It's hard to back out of that and and express it in a way to make it equally yeah. clear to someone else because you think it's clear. Right. You're like, how can you know? <laughs> and you think you're saying that, yeah. and they're like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then to, you have to backtrack right. and say, okay, okay. Come out to. Where I don't know you if anything will. Will you be able to use any of that? Oh, I yeah, most really? of it. Yeah, let me just wrap it up. Do oh, the I'm wrap sorry. up thing. No, that's fine. That's fine. We, I thought I you were edit off. This. <laughs> no, 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 I'll edit this part, you know, this part out. But um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so you've been, this has been great. Hello Climate Change is the name of this podcast. HelloCC.info is the website for it. Um, this is the bonus round with Maureen Crowley. We just keep on talking. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. And please leave me comments and reviews. iTunes is a great place to do that. It helps other people find the podcast, which I really do appreciate. Or you can put comments on the HelloCC um, website. All right. Goodbye for now. Oh, thank you, Amy. That was really fun.